they've crossed the border, but they're living on the border. <laughs> they're not pursuing, they're not pressing inland. We'll cross into the kingdom, but we'll keep our options open for crossing out again. As we continue to work this month with the evangelical tradition, I thought it'd be helpful to further explore our relationship and engagement with the Bible. Now, who better to interview than former CEO of the British Bible Society, James Catford. James just happens to be a part of the Renovare ministry team and board. Now, James doesn't approach this topic as an academic or theologian, but rather with a keen interest in the importance of the text in shaping culture and its relevance in the secular context of the UK. But ultimately, at the heart of how James works with the biblical text is through a lens of our ongoing growth into Christ-likeness. And to help carry on the conversation, James put together a helpful essay for us on the topic, which you can find on our website at renovare.org. My name is Nathan Foster, and welcome to the Renovare Podcast. Hey, James, how are you, friend? Hey, Nate, good to see you. How are you doing? I'm well. I'm well, and particularly glad that we get to talk today. Me too. Looking forward to it. Hey, just to start things off, could you share with us a little about your relationship with Scripture? <laughs> That's a big thing to start off with. <laughs> um, so I brought up in a Christian home. Scripture was very important to us, um, given a copy of a contemporary Bible when I was at school. Uh, tried to read it a bit, tried to read my Bible at home. Um, but you know what? I think I've struggled with Scripture for most of my uh, life. Certainly my early adulthood, I really couldn't connect it. I, you know, How do you get the words off the page and into your, um, your heart and uh, life, you know, um, I I I wanted to to follow scripture. I wanted to live the uh, life that it shows us, but I was really struggling with this. The Bible. I mean, it was almost painful, um, you know, opening it at some points because I just didn't know how you access it. And I think I, in many ways, I think I got the wrong end of what the Bible is and what the Bible is for and why it's come to us. Um, so, so yes, um, it's been, certainly my early adulthood was a real struggle with it. What, what changed for you? Well, I guess I began to understand what the gospel is about you know one of the most powerful things you can ask anybody is to ask them what do you think the gospel is and i think it came unstuck at that point if i'm really honest so the gospel as i I'd, as i had understood it was getting people from one side of 
align to the other. I have images, I had pictures, I had cartoons that showed you how to cross from one side to the other. And it's not that I don't accept that. I mean, Jesus talks about being born again, being born of above, of the Spirit. So it's, it's not that I don't accept that. It's just that the gospel is probably more than just getting from one side of the line to the other. And the image I've used in the little um, you know, essay I've done is of crossing a border from one country to the other, which I have been across many of these over the years. And um, coming to faith, coming to know Jesus, coming to trust him can be seen as crossing from one side of the border to the other. The struggle is, I think the Bible is not just a borderland book. It's not just about crossing the border. If, we, if the gospel is only that, then the Bible, there's not a huge amount the Bible's you know, is going to offer us because there's a few very important passages of scripture we'll want but what's the what's the whole of the book for and it's this idea that to understand the bible we probably have to understand the gospel we have to have a better grip on what the gospel of the kingdoms is about i'm finding this picture very helpful share with folks a little about what happens on borders in in some countries particularly in the yeah. developing world Okay. So, I mean, I've crossed borders in many parts of the world. I first entered the United States on a, a ship coming from Vancouver down to Seattle through the San Juan Islands. Very peaceful, very calm, beautiful sunset, absolutely marvelous experience. But I've also crossed borders which would be much less peaceful and calm. I was in uh, Uganda after the fall of Idi Amin and um, the sheer terror of escaping Uganda with the Tanzanian troops pursuing us is an image that will stick with me. I, I left you know, China with a very heavy cold, which we discovered was Asian flu, bird flu. And the Chinese authorities were pulling people out of the uh, line if you had a temperature and putting you in quarantine for a week or more. And, and the sheer relief of crossing the border and getting out of China was just fantastic. And borderlands are quite a big operation. There's a whole industry around these. There's a whole industry around getting you over. So as you drive to a European checkpoint, you know, you've got your the currency exchange uh, kiosks, you've got the tourist Stops. You've got the hotels, you've got the last opportunity to fill up your car. There's all these different things going on. At airports, you've got VIP lanes, priority passes, you know, all that kind of stuff. There's a whole industry around this, getting you across the a line. 
But in the kingdom, there's also an industry around, you know, courses, short courses. If you read this book, if you remember these uh, four steps, if you speak to this person, if you pray this prayer, there's a whole industry around that. And I'm intrigued by that, and I'm sure it's very helpful and valuable and courses and beginners' courses and all the rest of it. But who will show me, who will teach me, who will go out in front of me as a guide to how to press into the kingdom? You know, how do we pursue the kingdom? I mean, there's this vast open space, this vast a landscape opening up in front of us in the kingdom of God, in the, the, the um, uh, safe and good and beautiful kingdom. But who's going to help me explore it? Who's going to walk with me? Who's going to show me? Who's going to point out the uh, landmarks there are within that? And, um, and really, Scripture is about that, is about introducing you to journeys, introducing you to what you can expect, showing you people who've walked there before you, helping you see the way. You know, the, the scriptures are a lamp unto our path, and that path is in the kingdom. But I don't see a lot of investment in that, if I'm honest. A lot of investment in the crossing over from one side of the border to the other. But I don't see a lot of investment in the pressing deeper, ever further in. Does that make sense? It does. So this kind of conversion crossing over and then, right. I mean, to take it a little further, the, the communities build on the border and refugee camps right. of sorts but then going further, yeah. deeper into yeah. what the gospel's really about? Well, yes. No, I think the refugee camps is a beautiful image, actually, and I've been to a few. Um, Beirut is, is a very interesting example of this because there are people who left, who fled Israel, Palestine in 1946, They've crossed the border into Lebanon. They started with a piece of canvas or tarp, as we call it, and has a little plot. They just pitched up. But as the years went by, they established more and built a little shack, a construction to bring up you know, children in. And then they got a few bricks and a bit of cement and built a little house and then they have more children so they build a house on top of their house and now if you go there you'll see these little crooked streets the little pathways with very high buildings on either side with several stories and even a school is in there or schools and kitchens and and so on but they're tiny they're only a few feet across and it's that image of they've crossed the border but they're living on the border <laughs> they're not pursuing they're not pressing inland they're not pressing on 
And that's, I think, what concerns me. And I'm just saying, I wonder whether our struggle with Scripture is because we're struggling with with keeping so close to that crossing line. I mean, you know, you will know people, and, and we have this experience ourselves of, we'll cross into the kingdom, but we'll keep our options open for crossing out again. <laughs> our heads will turn back, you know, backwards to see where we come from and if necessary we'll hop back over the border again i mean that in attitude anyway you know we're trying to follow jesus we're trying to press jesus but but if it doesn't work we'll fall back on other things and um especially when stresses and strains and pain and hurt and suffering come those are moments when we're tempted to say you know what i think i'll cross back I just think I'll go back to the old way. And the invitation is to take all of that, take our struggles and our suffering and maybe even our uh, doubts and still press on, still press further in, form up with others who are pursuing this as well, form up with others in a little group, cohort, friends, we might call it church, who are pursuing that and trying to see how far can I press into the kingdom rather than how close can I stay on the border, on the line, dividing the two. Yes, that's, that's a really helpful picture, particularly when you think of communities journeying yeah. together in the unknown territory. How is scripture helpful for us moving beyond the border of conversion? Yeah. Well, it's very helpful if we can read the Bible in terms that are appropriate to it and appropriate to us. So two things, well, two or three things I'd say. One is expect more from Scripture. Ask it harder questions, I would say. I think we sometimes have an attitude towards God as we have towards the scripture of saying, well, of course, it's not really capable of, of handling our really hard stuff. Well, you don't have to read a great deal of it, and it can. It's embarrassingly straight and honest. Um, so, so I would say, ask more of it. Don't give it an easy time. Secondly, I would say expect it to be able to talk to the things that concern you. I sometimes say there's nothing we can experience on this earth that the Bible didn't get to first. I mean, I really believe that. I've really found that to be true. Any Anything I'm going through, and I think, well, the Lord won't be interested in that or the Bible certainly won't have anything to say on that. But you know, it really does. Um, there's nothing we can experience on this earth that the Bible didn't get to first. So I'm I'm expecting to have that. And the third thing is I'm expecting to be in conversation with it. I'm expecting, you know, does this work for you? I found this um, you know, helpful. We read the Bible, but in reading the Bible, we would do well to invite the Bible to read 
us, that idea of in conversation with it. I mean, one of the things that we find hard is because there's so much in it. I mean, a verse of scripture, a passage of scripture can need more thought, attention, reflection than most books in our generation. And learning to slow down with scripture and be in conversation with scripture and saying, oh, what does that mean? What's that about? What is it trying to say to me? What is the Lord saying through this passage at this time? Those are the kind of things. So we read the Bible, but the Bible is going to uh, is going to <laughs> to read us in one sense. So entering into scripture, expecting more, mm-hmm. leaning into mm-hmm. the hard questions, and yeah. then being in conversation with yeah. it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Very much so. Reminds me of a story that I'm here secondhand. Okay. I'll right. share it with you and hear your opinion on it. Yeah. Um, please. I was I was with my dad and and he mm-hmm. we saw this mural and he referenced a time he had with Dallas passing this same mural. And the mural right. was uh, a you know a fifty foot picture of Jesus handing reaching out to hand us a Bible, mm-hmm. and the comment just very casual, um, how about a fifty foot Bible <laughs> handing <laughs> us Jesus? Right. Wow, that's a powerful image, isn't that? Uh, it is. Do you, one, do you agree or find that helpful? Does it tie into what you're saying? I think it does. I think I think I'd like to play with our images of the Bible. Um, so I want to play with some things about, you know, do you have to have a fifty-foot Bible image? For example, if you plaster a talk or an essay or a chapter in a book, or even a lovely picture of anything just putting a bible text on something doesn't make it the bible i hope that's not too big a jump from what you're saying but 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 just quoting scripture doesn't mean you're being a scriptural because you can abuse and use the, the scriptures in the most terrible ways and there's plenty of evidence down the ages of people who've used the bible in completely the wrong way out of context, misunderstanding it, deliberately subverting it, deliberately making it tilt one way or the other. As uh, Talus used to joke, it's a mercy that no one church owns the original manuscripts of the Bible. Because <laughs> if you imagine, imagine what we would do with them if we said, well, it's ours, it's the you know, the Anglican church, Episcopal church, we've got the originals, you know, or, or whatever, that's the church I'm, you know, we, we own them. It's a mercy that nobody has because we'd mess them around and we'd tilt the scriptures to read the way we want them to come across. And so putting a Bible reference on something doesn't make it scriptural, nor does not putting a Bible reference I mean, it's not scriptural. I mean, most of us, many of us are working in a, a secular environment at our jobs, our schools, our, wherever 
we are, we, we don't have to quote scripture the whole time to be scripture, you know, and the, and the invitation is to be the word, not just to know the word. And um, we don't have to quote a Bible reference the whole time, but, but the invitation is to live out of the scriptures, to be the word, to be the very thing we're trying to be speaking out of. Does that make any sense? It does. It does. Just to kind of go back, the, the picture I get from the mural yes. is that the point is life. Yes. The point's not the words, but... Right. It's the life. It's the life. It's the life. And that's what we're after. But that's the journey. Because, I mean, you take Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, and he says, don't be angry. And yet we're angry. He says, don't be anxious. And yet we're anxious. Don't judge people. But we judge people. And the, that's why we need a community around us to enter the Bible or to have the Bible enter us, put it that way, and to press further into the kingdom. So we're pursuing the kingdom. We're pressing further in. We're trying to lift the words off the page and into our hearts, then, you know, we really need other people that will help us because it's then the community of faith. You, you know, I love this line that um, Mark Knoll, um, a historian of the evangelical church, wonderful, he says, the early evangelicals were much more interested in converting themselves than in converting anybody else and in fashioning communities in which that conversion, that transformation, that formation can take place. And I think that's what this is really trying to say here, is the Bible really only works when we're pursuing Christ when we're penetrating further into the kingdom and in pursuing that, having other people around us to help us understand the scriptures and live them and have that her life, as you say, coming out of that image, that mural, that's powerful. That's powerful. I like this emphasis on community because I'm just doing a quick run through my head of when groups go really bad in, in religious right. contexts. It's usually because there's one person who's the kind of sole interpreter of scripture. Yes. You have a line that I've heard you say quite a few times that's so helpful for me, and it's something to the effect of, be careful where you point that thing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I've sat in enough services where the most powerful pregnant passage of Scripture is being, you know, handled. And, um, you know, Isaiah perhaps might, might, might be one example where you go, you know, there's some very strident, powerful you know, things in that book. And um, I've sat there and going, oh boy, 
watch where you point that thing. You know, you could almost see the preacher like on some big World War II machine gun, big sort of you know, <laughs> cannon affair as, as, as they wheel it round, <laughs> point it at the congregation and boom, you know, off it goes. And you kind of say, just can we all just calm down here? You know, I don't mean to penetrate onto guns and things, but, you know, just put that down. Do you know what I mean? Because someone could get very hurt by this because sometimes the way we use our scriptures is can be hurtful. I mean, we can turn uh, grace into a law. It's very common. And in our enthusiasm to pursue Jesus and the kingdom and to do the right thing and to be the right person, the tendency of the heart is to turn what should be grace, the Bible should be grace, into a law, which is why I say just be careful where you point that thing because somebody might get hurt. Can you see what I'm saying? I can. I can. And that ties in with the community, right? Of let's Right. Community is so important. But you see other people, you know, I remember Dallas, I, I, you know, he was very keen when we talked to say just just encourage people to engage with scripture. And I'm going, well, yes, but of course you need to give them some help. He said, well, yes, but the bias is towards just engage with it. And I'm saying, well, but, but Dallas, what, what if people were to get it wrong? You know, what if people get it wrong? And of course the implication of the question I put to him is that I've got it right. <laughs> You know, and of course, I've got it wrong, and maybe I still get it wrong. So this raw encounter, especially in a group, can be helpful. I don't mean I don't mean a small group where we share our ignorance. I don't mean that. I don't mean a small group where, as you say, one person is kind of placed in authority in a sense of, we can't argue with them. I mean, I mean, in the company of others, wrestling with it, you know, in a context of trust and and intimacy and warmth and charity, you know, it, it works if we're really pursuing him. It doesn't work when we're trying to teach people a set of codes. You know, um, I do think we need to come at this with the three orthos, the orthodoxy. Orthodoxy is right belief. Orthopraxis is the right behavior practice. And never to be missed out is author what 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 we might call orthocardia the right um, your heart mm. because a tender heart really is a prerequisite here. Um, you know, you might get all your doctrines correct. You might cross all the T's and dot all the I's. You might even be pushing yourself really hard to follow what scripture teaches on practice. 
But unless we've got the orthocardia, as in cardiac arrest, <laughs> you know, those two, as I say, be careful what you do with those, because all manner of things have gone wrong without the right heart. Yeah, that's really good, because there can be a tendency to treat it as either an academic text Right. Or a, you know, tool book for living. Yeah. I understand why we sometimes talk about the Bible as a handbook or as a manual. You know, everybody's, what, what, what a great idea, you know, DIY manuals, home improvement manuals, car manuals. It doesn't really work like that. Because a manual has an A to Z. I mean, a manual has a, a sequence. A manual has a a contemporary 21st century order of progress. The Bible doesn't do that. So I'm cautious about that. In fact, I think we need to demanualize the Bible because I don't think that image is, you know, helping us. Companion, I think, is more helpful. Companion on the journey, more so that the people in the Bible are our companions on the journey. As they wrestle with their stuff, or as God wrestles, as God wrestles with them as they wrestle with their stuff, that might be a good way of putting it, I think, the scriptures. It's a story of God dealing with people who are dealing with their stuff. And that's why I think it becomes a companion, because we go, oh, I see. That's my experience as well. Yeah, I get that. Let's see how they're handling the realities, the, the, where they are, and let's see how God is handling them handling that. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I feel that the, the further I work with biblical text, mm -hmm. in ways the more mystery I encounter and the mm -hmm. more questions I have. Um, mm -hmm. Is that, do you relate to that? Does that seem like a common occurrence? Yes, yes, I think so. Um, that can certainly happen. I, I tend more towards greater depth with it, greater layers of understanding, greater layers of revelation. So as I come back to a passage after a time away, and you go, gosh, I never saw that before. I never knew that before. Um, yes, mystery, but also be reassured so that we don't sort of just um, go down that line without the other line, which is as we bring to it an emerging understanding of what God is doing, more of the Bible makes sense as well, comes into focus. I mean, just that idea of seeing it as a book about people dealing with the realities they are facing, the harsh realities, the crushing realities at times, and then how God deals with them. Just that understanding of scripture can help us, reassure us, see, it helps us to see what to look out for. Or the kingdom, the availability of the kingdom is really helpful to read scripture with that. You know, whether it's the 23rd 
psalm or or some of these these things about how struggle and stress and the hardship and suffering once once you've got some of the basic uh, themes of scripture that that the scriptures are trying to explore christ in the middle the scriptures are feeding down to this one point this one person this god himself incarnate the whole of the old testament narrows from the creation of the world right down to him and then the resurrection it fans out again to the whole world um, just these sort of basic conceptual ideas help us to locate the Bible, locate the scripture, locate the story, I think, in powerful ways. It's always been interesting to me how you've talked a little bit about some of your struggles and the tensions with scripture, yet you, for years, chief officer of British Bible Society. <laughs> What was that like for you? Well, that shows, <laughs> I think that shows that it's possible to, to move on, to go forward. I mean, I'm, I'm, I had a commercial career in commercial publishing. I was not your standard, you know, cradle academic, theologian, ordained pastor, and all the rest of it, I I stumbled across you know, you know, scripture. I stumbled through scripture. I found that the more I read around your father, Richard Foster, Dallas Willard, the more I began to feel. I'm beginning to get what some of this is about, and then I began to realise that the Bible is. A really, really helpful in our conversation with people outside church, um, which I didn't expect. So I joined the Bible Society in that role as CEO simply because I found it the most wonderful place. It's it's broad, it's you know generous in its you know outlook, but it has a very high view of scripture and a very clear conviction that the Bible is one of the most powerful ways of talking to people beyond church, you know, um, because the Bible so shapes the way we speak. I mean, I don't with you, I'm sure you realize how much the way English is spoken is formed by scripture. So many of the world issues are based around scripture. So many of the public affairs issues revolve around scripture. I mean, look at what's happening in politics currently and um you know the bible is not surprised by any of this um and in many ways i'd want to say the bible you know certainly deserves to sit at the top table of world the affairs and you know issues it's more than capable of you know handling the big global issues we tend to privatize it, which of course it is. I mean, it's very deep and personal. And the Bible, you don't have to read much for it to realize how intensely personal it is. But it's also broad. Um, you know, as with God, God is bigger than the 
biggest thing and smaller than the smallest thing. <laughs> and the Bible can, can, can go in both of those, I think. As we begin to near the end of our time, could sure. you share with folks the, what you guys did with the billboards in Bible Society? Well, this is going back a few years, and um, we were trying to say to the wider public, I suppose, uh, um, that the Bible does engage with the issues that we're talking about. So we took one of our popular soap operas, which, of course, we don't really have nowadays, but we do here, and we took a storyline, and we illustrated the storyline and asked a question i think we did a few one was should this character forgive this other character for what they did they cheated on them or they murdered their son or something happened and um, you know should they forgive and it, and we deliberately chose a story where it's incredibly hard you know very difficult painful at an emotional level they were terrible should they be forgiven and you text us yes to this number and no to this number. And we didn't say who is behind the campaign. We just put these billboards up with a strong image from the storyline and text us this way to say yes, this way to say no. And then after a certain time, we revealed what the answer was, what the people of the city we were in, what was their answer? And whether it was 48% said this and 52% said, it wasn't so much actually the outcome of the ethical issue. It was the fact that they were discussing something from the scriptures. And in revealing the results of our campaign, we said, and by the way, did you know that what you've been talking about is a theme in the Bible? And people would say, well, I had no, no idea. We thought we were talking about a soap opera. And we'd say, well, yes, but what you've been talking about is a theme strongly woven into the Christian scriptures. So if you're interested in the storyline from a soap opera point of view, maybe you should be interested in the storyline from a Bible angle. Too. And then we carried on the conversation with the culture. But you see, we were trying to agitate the culture, agitate the city to think well of scripture, to think well, because we're trying to move the scriptures. More and more people see the Bible as part of the problem in the world. You know, if only we get rid of the Christians, get rid of the church, it's all bad news. What I think we want to try and do is to say, no, 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 this book is part of the answer. But of course, we have to reframe it in ways that people will you know, see it as such and open it and step into it. Wasn't there something with an atheist comment that you guys did? So there's lots of conversations that we can have with people outside church, even people who are vehemently anti-Christianity and people of faith. Um, we did a campaign where we engaged with Richard uh, Dawkins, the sort of 
archbishop of um, atheism, you might call him. And Richard Dawkins came back to us and in our conversations with him, he said, well, of course, not to know, he said, the King James version of the Bible is in some way to be a barbarian, which, which we thought was quite you know, helpful, really, because he was recognizing the cultural capital of scripture and his right to recognize that. I mean, you know, if God doesn't exist, if the Bible isn't true, please don't tell Bach or Brahms or um, you know, Handel's Messiah, Beethoven, or some of the more contemporary classical composers, because they believed it, they celebrated it, they were inspired by scripture. Don't tell some of the most famous artists in the world that the Bible isn't true because they painted some of the best paintings based on scripture. So there'd be lots of empty halls and lots of silent uh, orchestral performances if we didn't have the scriptures. So the cultural capital of scripture, we need to recognize. We need to recognize the social capital of scripture. I mean, scripture inspires such good works from the hospices around the world. Most of the hospices in my country were started out of you know, churches. Um, the Bible inspired that. Um, the cultural capital is there, but there's the social capital. Mother Teresa is a great example of that. And then there's our spiritual capital of Scripture. I've had the privilege of giving a copy of the Bible to, well, two prime ministers here in this country. And um, I've said, you know, don't forget how much the Bible talks about poverty and justice. That's, that's, that's the first thing I've said. And the other is... Um, don't forget the spiritual capital of Scripture alongside the cultural and the social. James, this is helpful. Thank you. Good to talk. Well, there you have it. I encourage you to check out James's essay that we just released this week on our website, renovare.org. As always, thanks for listening and have a great week.